A warm welcome to Questions Worth Asking, a podcast where we capture and translate wisdom from multiple disciplines in order to fuel the next generation of changemakers. Hello, welcome back to Questions Worth Asking. This is Season 1, Episode 9. I'm Priya. And I'm John. And today what we thought we would do is signpost a bit what we're going to be doing in Episode 10, because our plan is to have... 10 episodes per season. So in this first season, we thought we would do a look back on all the first nine, really first 10 episodes we've done. And the approach we'll use is a retrospect. A retrospect is a one of the tools in knowledge management. So we thought for episode nine, we'd focus on knowledge management as a theme, as a concept, as a field, and then use a KM tool in episode 10 to look back. But before we even get started, I just want to make sure I say a big thank you. We both want to say thank you for all the feedback and the fact that we've uh, had, what, three or four episodes in a row now of the interview style. So for this one, you're just back to to Priya and I, stuck with the two of us. (laughs) But we'll try and talk about knowledge management for you this time and see how it goes. And I get to be interviewer. Sure. So... John, you, you, how, tell me how long you've been in KM. So at least since 1996, been doing KM. So I guess that's 22 years now, give or take a little bit. And yet I would say even, that's professionally. So even since a couple of years before that, doing knowledge management. Now, admittedly, wouldn't have called it knowledge management until 2003. So a little bit like OD, would have been doing it for years yeah. before, but didn't even quite realize there was a, a name for it. Yeah. That's very common with OD, right? Mm. So so tell me what KM is. If I'm not working in this field, what is KM? What is knowledge management? Sure. And it's always tricky because the, I don't want to cop out of the answer, but <laughs> it is true that if we had 100 different knowledge management professionals mm-hmm. standing here, all of which had been doing it either brand new or even for quite some time, we would honestly have 100 different definitions for KM. So there is no one standard definition. Part of that then goes to our field to maybe come together and come up with a definition, but that's been tried many, many times. I have one that almost regardless of industry or size of business or culture or anything that tends to work. So I would say knowledge management is optimizing the flow of knowledge. That's the language I've tended to use. And yet each of those words is a little bit tricky, optimize and flow and even knowledge. Mm -hmm. All of them are are a bit tricky. So I guess what I would say that we often say in knowledge management is it really does depend what kind of organization you're in, what kind of business or organizational value you're trying to provide, and then KM can be a support for that. It's very similar to safety and quality in that way or safety and health, um, diversity and inclusion, these, these other large fields that are trying to provide value, but they're so vast mm-hmm. that you specialize it based on the environment that you're in. So optimizing the flow of knowledge. Right. And dig into knowledge for me. So if I, if I never worked in a business, what would I consider, what would I see as knowledge? Sure. Yeah, the business side of it is actually difficult. Mm. The, the broadest sense of knowledge would be well, in fact, there's sort of the textbook definition of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Just look it up in a dictionary and, and see what knowledge is. The other side would be this more detailed, slightly more modern view, because even back to Plato and Socrates, we've been talking about what is knowledge, who am I, mm. 
for a long, long, long time. And another example of it's never quite got clear. So one of the, I think we actually give Einstein credit for knowledge is experience. No, sorry. Knowledge is understanding gained from experience, sharing, and analysis. That would be one definition of knowledge. So experience, sharing, and analysis creates knowledge. The the more sort of detailed view of it is that we have facets, 25 facets of knowledge management. So more than two dozen. One of the facets is called mode. And in mode, we have three subparts. See how tricky it gets so quickly? The three modes are explicit, tacit, and implicit. And just really quickly, explicit is explicit knowledge is something that's written down. It's documented. Mm-hmm. It's on a piece of paper. It's in a database. It's in a, uh, a any kind of document. It's written out. It's even, frankly, the spoken word. Once it comes out of my mouth, mm-hmm. it's now information. Information and explicit knowledge are synonyms. Tacit knowledge is different. And even for decades now, practicing this, still don't have a clean definition of tacit knowledge. Mm-hmm. It's something about embodied knowledge, something that's inside me, quite difficult to express or speak to. It often more comes from a question. Someone asks something, I pull together the knowledge in my body, in my mm-hmm. mind, in my existence, and then share it. But as soon as I share it, it's now explicit. Okay. So in knowledge management, we are fascinated by the flow, getting the tacit knowledge that's sort of stuck inside my body yeah. and the tacit knowledge that's in your body and in everyone that's around us, getting that moving. My tacit to your tacit to co-create, collectively create new tacit knowledge. And knowledge management does that flow. And and give us a flavor of the kind of types of works and the how of knowledge management. Sure, sure. So again, every business does it different. It can be as simple as a brown bag lunch. We could call that a knowledge management technique where uh, we schedule a one hour seminar. Someone comes in and talks for a few minutes and we all bring our own lunch. And by trying to create a conversation out of it, mm-hmm. we're doing knowledge management. That would sort of be the most fundamental, the kind of example where, wow, I'm doing knowledge management. I didn't even realize I was mm-hmm. doing knowledge management. Now, take it to a more um, systemic view, organizational view of knowledge management. There are five approaches, I would mm-hmm. say, that seem to work in most organization, almost of any size, although these five do take a bit of scale. So you'd, you'd want to have a few thousand employees, probably at least a few hundred. There's no silver bullet in knowledge management, but the one how, the one approach that you almost have to be doing if you're doing knowledge management are communities of practice. Mm-hmm. That's just a core approach. Yeah. And poor communities of practice have been quite confused and modified in almost every organization you go to. So it could be fun to talk about sort of the the academic and proven view of communities of practice. So maybe come back to that. Communities of practice are one. Knowledge transfer or knowledge retention, sort of synonyms, that tends to be at the top of any knowledge management strategy or program. Just because World War One, World War Two, baby boomers were born There were just so many people born in one generation, followed by almost half, really two-thirds, the number of people in the next generation, so from baby boomers to Gen X. We're just now at the point in history where there are mass numbers of retirements. So many of these companies I either go in and consult with or even had worked for internally, it's it's often around 50%. In the next three to five years, 
half of the company could retire and be gone and either wanting to be charging twice as much to come back as a consultant mm -hmm. or make themselves not available or create their own company. So how do organizations ensure that unique and critical knowledge is not lost during retirements? Mm -hmm. Knowledge transfer, knowledge retention is that approach. Um, some of the exciting ones that are a little bit more emerging in knowledge management are knowledge markets and talent markets. Mm. They also take a while to describe it. Quickly, I would say, like any market, there's supply and demand. In most organizations, we tend to create a job description, a job requisition, and fill that with a person. A talent market or a knowledge market, two separate things, um, would blow that away. They would basically say there's supply, there's people, there's tacit knowledge, both in the individual and in the group and in the organization on the supply side. On the demand side, it's not jobs, it's tasks. It's verb noun, create strategic plan, deliver milestone one, whatever milestone one is mm -hmm. more specifically. Supply, the market is both, it's all three things. It's technology to, to match up the supply and the demand. Um, it's also process. So there's a way to find out all the supply you have and a way to find out all the tasks you have. There's mm -hmm. process for that. And frankly, most importantly is the people, the culture, the group dynamic. Are people willing and interested and passionate about finding tasks and looking at making customers delight or helping customer delight by delivering tasks mm -hmm. as opposed to a full-time job where I'm handed tasks and I do what I'm told. So there's the knowledge market, getting the flow of knowledge moving. There's the talent market, getting people mm -hmm. moving. And then this fifth tool that I just really enjoy, but it also is quite impactful, organizational network analysis, ONA. It's also outside in the public, same process called SNA, social network analysis. In social network analysis, you're looking at Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and social media. Inside an organization, you're looking at email and you're conducting interviews and focus groups and surveys. You're looking at, as opposed to the uh, hierarchy, the who reports to who, the boxes we're used to, you're looking at what often looks like a spider web. It's nodes and lines and just dots. Like the constellations. That, of, like yeah. a con and it's, it shows who's connected to mm. each other. Sometimes we call it the trust networks. Mm. Who uh, The hierarchy is how work is supposed to get done. The ONA reveals how work actually gets done. Nice. Who's willing to work yeah. with each other. So those are five core. And then there's literally a book out there called The 96 Approaches to Knowledge Management. So those are just five you know we could go on for hours with more <laughs> so that that that's great it feels it also feels like quite a heady answer mm. um can you talk just about why you do this work why do you do km yeah thank you thanks for getting out of my head yeah so the story for me is um it was around that 2003 time frame i had been building large websites, large web applications for, for large companies. And I had done it, I don't know, two, three, four times over. And the repeated experience was we spend a year, give or take, meeting with stakeholders, defining requirements. We often called them user requirements yeah. as opposed to people. Um, what do the users want? What do the users need? We would work on that for a while. Then we would um, wireframe or start to design 
a website or a software application mm -hmm. for a year or so. And then for a year or so, we would develop it. We'd write the code and we'd test it and work out all the bugs. Frankly, really, even before getting to beta testing and showing it to non-developers. So you're three years in. Somewhere along the line, you started some change management, maybe, where you start getting people excited about the software and checking mm -hmm. back in. And of course, we've got Agile now where we're doing the three-year process in like, you know, two to three weeks, greatly shortening it. But <laughs> anyway, I was telling this to a friend that you get this website set up or this software application built and you release it. And the launch date is so exciting. There's all this hype in this new software is going to solve all of our problems. I've been a user in this world. I know what happens next. It doesn't work. <laughs> it and doesn't everybody work. complains. Yeah. And there's just... So as a developer, you feel that too. Mm. You think, well, where did I... So I was telling this to a friend saying, this happens over and over and over. What? I must not be a very good developer, right? I'm, I'm trying to look in my own mirror at this point. And he says to me, you know, I have a degree in a thing called knowledge management. I think you might like it. You should look it up. And he walked away. That was it. Didn't give me any more detail. Google just started to exist, I believe, around that time. Can't quite remember. But I went and looked it up, however I looked it up. The very first thing I found in knowledge management was an article called The Nonsense of Knowledge Management. I'm sure it's still out there. Haven't looked in a little while. What I recall of that article was it basically said what I was just saying a few minutes ago. Knowledge is only in your head. Mm -hmm. The stuff that we're trying to manage is all information. It's all written down stuff. And there are information management and information technology departments, usually multi-multi-million dollar or euro or pound um, budgets for information management. Knowledge management is impossible. It's only in your head. You can't manage what's in your head or in your mind. It's impossible. Give up. Move on. We should close down this field and go do something else. Reading that article, I was inspired. I thought, okay, if it's that hard, I'm in. Let's do this. My undergrad happened to be in a field called decision support systems, mm -hmm. which is one of the core, there are four or five sort of deliverables or visions for, for knowledge management purposes. And one of the top ones often happens to be enabling better and or faster decision making. So it fit right into a degree that I happen nice. to have. I just now had the full blend of technology enabling process, process enabling people and looking at it from that point of view. So my heart is in it for the, frankly, impossibility of the <laughs> task. And you mentioned a couple of other phrases there. So you talked about IT, you talked about change management. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, there's an overlap with OD. How do you distinguish KM from, from those other disciplines? Yeah, that one's tough. Thanks. It's all right. <laughs> so, Did you think I was going to make it easy? Yeah, good, great. Let's do this. <laughs> when the shoe's so, on the other foot, you yeah, can remind me of this. Yeah, this is great. So how is KM different from change or OD? I might start with how they're the same. Okay. I And then let's see what comes out and how they're different. To me, in an OD... For decades, we've done diagnostic OD. We've done a linear um, contract with your client, internal or external, gather data, analyze data, design an intervention, deliver the intervention. It reminds me a lot of traditional project management mm -hmm. contract, uh, come up with requirements, do your project charter, deliver the, implement the project, close the project. It's almost the same thing. So that's how close those two fields yeah. are. Well, what, what have both of them done now? 
OD has moved into or is augmenting with dialogic OD, dialogue, conversation. It's real-time change and change awareness. What has project management done? Agile, two-week scrums, move much faster. KM has done something pretty similar. So now we've got this, this augmentation from managing information to really getting quite skilled at being aware of my tacit knowledge and then having tools and cultures and mindsets and marketing tips and tricks for getting knowledge moving. So in OD, we often come in and want to reveal, boldly reveal the system to itself. What, 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 what is the group dynamic here and reveal that to it in KM? We want to say things. It's a little bit different in that we would say no one of us is as smart as all of us. So how do we get that collective knowledge? Mm -hmm. What I'm trying to say that they have in common is I think conversation is at the center. I think diversity and inclusion is about better conversations. I think OD is often about better conversations. KM, better conversations. Project management, better conversations. Design thinking, information management. With We've even got these physical conversation platforms now. Alexa, Siri, Google Home, they, they've, I've heard them called conversation platforms. I'm not sure they're quite conversational yet, but they're in a direction of how do we have impactful, better conversations. I don't know about you, I talk to Siri every day. Mm. We have some great chats. Okay. That's what happens when you work from home too much. All right. <laughs> Siri becomes a friend. Okay. So um, I'm really interested in... Um, failure patterns or Mm. um you know with your experience when you go in and you see businesses that are doing this well or in this case particularly not so well what do you often see what are the kind of factors that lead to businesses not being great in this area yeah trying not to sort of plug any one person or any one organization i will a little bit (laughs) there's an organization called apqc it stands for american productivity and quality center relatively international, Mm. even though it's got the American name to it or acronym. Um, I would tend to say my experience is they do quite leading research and um, analysis of of KM and quality, as you can hear in their title, even in a few other things, but um, a fantastic annual conference that they do. If you become an APQC member, what they offer you for free as part of the membership is an assessment So they've done these assessments for at least hundreds of companies, and they talk about them at their Mm -hmm. conference. And in KM, we actually, one of the KM tools is called a fail fest, a failure festival. It's all about getting together and sharing your biggest mistakes, which is quite a mindset shift, right? Most people are scared to share their failure. And yet you also know in an intimate moment, learning from failure is often quite the best teacher. So, Isn't it just? So in these conferences, some of these companies will come in and say, we were assessed and we came in very, very low. So we're now working on, on our maturity is low. The assessment came in low. And then others will come in. It's a f- this, there are many KM maturity models. This one is a five level. Like, you know, they're usually four or five mm-hmm. levels. This is a five level one. Many companies will come in at level one or two. I think very few will come in at four or five. There are a few out there. I'll try not to name them. You can look up the top ones by looking up an award that just got defunct and just got closed down because the people running it have sort of retired. Um, it was called the Make Award, M-A-K-E, Most Admired Knowledge Enterprise. 
So if you look that up, you will find the top knowledge management groups. They would have been doing some of the things we've already talked yeah. about. The lower ones um, will have frankly gotten confused, will have blended, blurred information management and knowledge management. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how to politely say this, so I'll just say th- they will have likely set up a tool often a Microsoft tool called SharePoint or Office 365. (laughs) They will have, you know, redesigned their intranet and said, here we go. We are setting up the greatest software collaboration platform there is. Job done. And a lot like my first story I told, uh, wait a minute, nobody's collaborating. Why are you collaborating on this amazing tool that we've given you? And and I've worked Mm -hmm. so hard to create this document and post this document. Yeah. And it was really painful. I didn't like doing it. Shh. Don't tell anyone I didn't like doing it. And now nobody's using it. I'm never creating another document again where, wait a minute, like the, the document wasn't tacit knowledge anyway. Yeah. And now no one's, so information isn't even flowing, yeah. let alone knowledge isn't flowing. That's frankly my my kind of brutal answer of the the blending, the blur, the confusion of I've I've worked with businesses that have done that. They've mm. put this like amazing collaboration tool in, or they've spent like millions on a bespoke um, internet, uh, sorry, intranet, and it, it thought it would you know drive thousands of conversations, and it just doesn't. Um, so that that really resonates with me. Mm. The other one that really resonates with me is I remember working um, in the hospitality sector. I won't I won't name them as a brand, but. Um, they were establishing themselves in the UK and growing quite rapidly internationally. And I think if I take your knowledge um, management, um, some of the things that you've talked about, I think the challenge we were facing at the time was we were growing so fast that actually that core of what made us really successful in the UK, we almost couldn't spread that knowledge fast enough. And so we relied on very traditional take this brand stick it in a box but it 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 just it couldn't keep up with the rate of growth and so the knowledge um exportation globally couldn't match the speed of you know the capex investment we had to grow the brand with physical stores Mm -hmm. i think that's an interesting one speed in knowledge management absolutely we talk about the rumor mill right yeah grapevine how quickly that can spread yeah even globally right exactly and yet that's sort of left up to chance it's not Mm -hmm. really managed there's not process for it um not that process solves everything but that yeah you can often think of that and now I'm, i'm sort of thinking back I am hearing your story and I'm thinking about knowledge management strategy. Um, uh, What is the organizational value? Maybe I did say this earlier, but what's the purpose? What are we trying to do with this? Is it a bunch of people are retiring and we've got a mass retirement wave and we need to hold on to unique and critical knowledge? Is it that we've... We've got a, a large project where we're, we're creating the same. Like I worked in the defense industry for quite some time, so we would build things like big boats and you build built one, boat one and then boat two and then boat three and you had failures mm. and the, uh, you don't build a boat in three months you build a boat in three or five or ten years so it's whole new teams of people how do you how does the organization learn from boat to boat to boat and not repeat mistakes and failures and frankly innovate better faster cheaper all of that flows into some of these km tools and techniques and i think that's where i get excited about km i I, i've I've dabbled in it it's not a core focus of my work but it's that organizational learning Mm. and wisdom how do you retain some of that wisdom um 
I think that's a really exciting area. So you know the question I'm going to ask you now, we always end on it, but um, what is the question worth asking? So if you're a, a leader or you're an um, OD professional or a KM professional and you're listening to this, um, to help you get into this space, what are some of the really core questions that you would ask? Yeah, and it's tough. So now I'm on the other side, right? What is the question worth asking? I still love the optimize the flow of knowledge, even though it's a bit heady mm. and intellectual and is confusing for all of us. I still would go and I'm trying to think, is it how or what or why? I would probably go the how route. Because so how would we optimize how, the flow of knowledge? Exactly. Mm-hmm. How do you optimize the flow of knowledge? And if that one's too abstract or, or doesn't help or just not you know, easy enough language, I'd probably go the organizational learning route. So maybe it's more of a, are we something to the effect of, are we learning as an organization individually? Would I say small group individually, small group and organizationally, are, are we truly learning and are we learning in the best way? Yeah. I might even throw in the conversational leadership, which we haven't talked about much, but in conversational leadership, we might say, are we having the conversation we need to be having right now in the way we need to be having it? Two separate nice. questions. Okay, I think that nicely brings us to an end. Thank you so much. How was that, being a guest on your own show? Pretty good, right? <laughs> you liked it? I liked it. Thank you. So it's goodbye from the UK? Goodbye from the UK. <laughs> Thank you for being with us. Until next time, it's your turn to ask the questions worth asking.